This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. We're here, Kelly and Ramia, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv, Monday to Friday, as well as 4 p.m. Eastern on AMI-audio, Monday to Friday. And you can check us out on your favorite podcast platform whenever. We have uh, segments out for you every day that you can easily share and listen to, as well as the full show podcast with a vanity card on the end. Kelsey, through to today's vanity card yesterday. Yes, tobogganing. Tobogganing. Out in the snow. And some fun with that because we were talking about those. We had a lot of snow talk yesterday yeah. with mazes and skating. So uh, I, I threw two tobogganing today on it. You know, we are often saying like, oh, the weather's kind of nice. It's pretty mild. But the people who are really loving winter or love the winter activities, I should say, are probably missing snow. Oh, they're parts getting of the mad country. down here. I mean, Super. like the poor tubers, you know, they yeah. want to get out there and get tubing. So... Folks, it's time as we roll into our next segment, it's time to bring on the Weekly Roundtable. Isn't it convenient that we have a roundtable? Well, it's actually oval. Just saying. The blind guy feels it now goes, (laughs) yeah, I guess it is oval. Kind of oval. Still a lot of space stuff going on out there. We're going to talk to Mark about this in just a moment. As we bring him on, Mark Phoenix rejoining us on the roundtable. We'll have Mark on here regularly. Folks, We this is an open conversation with different subjects that I find I bring out. And we chat a little bit about them and kick them around and just give some old perspective and feeling. Mark, happy uh, New Year. And I've been hearing for this year one of the things to look forward to, and we know you like all this, so much space stuff going on starting with the eclipse in April. I was going to say space. Someone said space. Space where? <laughs> Let's go, baby. <laughs> uh, yes, the April eclipse, which fortuitously will be passing directly over my nice little island out here in the, on the East Coast. Uh, April 7th, 2024, the second eclipse to cross the North American continent in seven years after the 2017 eclipse. And mm. yes, totality will be going right across the U.S., right up through the Great Lakes, I believe, if you're... Yep, uh, yep. And if, if you're in Hamilton, Ontario here is yep. supposedly the best area to see it. You're going to get a heck of a show, I tell you. Wow. Uh, anything else uh, through the next year you're looking forward to? I mean, we've got a cruise past the moon, lots of things like that going on. Oh, cruise past the moon. I need some more details on that. Well, I know, um, I think I've seen some reports about India trying to get a moon mission uh, Mm -hmm. going. Mexico will actually be sending a probe to the moon in the near future, as I just found out a couple of days ago. Yeah. Okay. It's getting busy up there. It it is. I think some probes, too. (laughs) I think some probes to gather stuff from Mars and so on. So, Mm -hmm. Rum, I know. There's a lot going on. Rum, do you know of any of this stuff? Like, have you ever... Nope, I keep posting on these segments with you guys. That's how you... (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys, San Francisco finally has installed nets to stop suicides off the Golden Gate Bridge. Nearly 2,000 people have plunged to their deaths since the bridge opened in 1937. Iron worker Ed Reyes says the nets are on both sides of the bridge. It's stainless steel, and it has some give in it, uh, and it's designed to catch people as they fall into the net. Dana Whitmer's son committed suicide at the Golden Gate Bridge in 2007. Suicides by so many methods have decreased, and Golden Gate Bridge is the only one that's increased. Whitmer doesn't think her son would have jumped if the nets were there. They're going to go, well, I can't do this. 
Um, let me go find another method. Critics say it's a lot of money to spend to deter people who are determined to end their lives and who will just find another way to do it. I'm Ed Donahue. Oh. Ramya, we hear this critics, and again, I, I felt that you probably would have that exact reaction to that. Uh, also, the mom, and again, I think some people might say, well, what do you mean? What, like, how does that help you? Your son would just find somewhere else to go if those nets were there. But I think in a parent's position, yeah, well, you know what? Maybe that's the moment that he needs to go somewhere else. Literally. Intervene or something, change his mind, whatever. I look for anything else if it's a deterrent. Um, but that la reaction of yours about critics saying, and sometimes I think they say this stuff to get your reaction. I mean, well, um, you, but yeah, it, it, like I can understand it from a logistical point of view. If somebody is thinking of suicide, if somebody is legitimately thinking of and methodically thinking of how to end their life, then perhaps these measures of deterrence, um, specifically at the Golden Gate Bridge, is not going to be, you know, what saves that person's life. But I'm thinking more of what the, the mother had pointed out, which is you get up there and you realize the precautions that have been put up there for specifically your kind of scenario, what you are up there for, and there might be a separate moment for you, right? Something that's different from what you've been experienced on the spiral of mental health that has led you to this moment. And it really upsets me that people don't think of these nuances, think of how a moment can change a person's trajectory and whether that be moment on a moment on the Golden Gate Bridge or a conversation that somebody had with you or whatever. But these moments are real, right? A lot of people have been saved from suicide attempts from one way or another. What we're forgetting too is all these things are implemented, Mark. There's a safety element to this too. If they're ever doing work on the bridge sure. and someone slips, falls, whatever, or just something like that happens, there's the potential for that. But when we get into a value on something, well, I don't know what this thing costs, how long it's going to be good for before being needed to be replaced. So when people say that, is it worth the cost? Well, I, I was always taught that no matter what we can do medically to help someone, to deter mm. someone from whether it's a, a health incident, whether it's a crisis like this, like we're talking, it's worth it. Absolutely. This is not something where nickel and diming should be brought into the issue. I know in Toronto years ago, um, a net-like structure was constructed around the oh, Prince Edward the Viaduct along Bloor yeah. because that was a an unfortunately popular spot for people to take their last step. And they also added um, crisis line phones on either end of the viaduct, this bridge that goes over the Don Valley Parkway. And it's proven effective. Now, you know, yes, there are people who they're done. They're, they're done with this existence. They're tired. They just want out. Sure, they might come to that, see that and go, okay, I'll find another method. But for people for whom they're in pain and who might have a chance to reach out mm. and might be tempted to do something on the spur of a moment, that net might stop them and make them think, well, do I really want to do this? Right. There's yeah. a documentary about people who survived that jump. And my understanding is in every single case, they felt intense regret the moment they took that leap. Mm -hmm. So this is not for the people who are really intent on they're done with this life. This is for the people who are hurting, who feel immense pain, but they might be reachable. Uh, they might be able to turn around, you know, turn, you know, turn their head and think, Okay, maybe yeah. this isn't the day. Maybe there is something that I can hold on to in this life at this point and not, you know, check out at this time.
Very good. Thanks, guys. Because, again, I know we hear about the money. I understand those who feel that viewpoint of this, is not, this isn't going to save lives. And I, I think we've just proven, um, yeah, it is. Even if it's that long walk back across the bridge to Oakland or to Frisco uh, where you decide, you know what, something else is going mm. on or I got something else to, or who knows what can intercede, you know, intervene at that time. Um, I want to talk about a new CBC comedy, One More Time is the name of it, stars Canadian comedian DJ Demers, who used to work with us over at AMI. He's a hard-of-hearing manager uh, of a second-hand sporting goods store. Now, he and his crew of his eccentric uh, staff members, they navigate the day-to-day the, um, -day of working in a small business. DJ, of course, has uh, a hearing impairment. Here's his comments here. When it comes to thinking of people that may actually see him and those who can relate to him might be able to inspire others in the deaf community. Uh, I hear a lot from uh, the deaf community just from my stand-up and whatnot. The show's not out yet, so we haven't heard anything from them, but I, I am curious how, how they'll receive it. I, I've never seen somebody with hearing aids in such a prominent role on TV, so I'm hoping that, you know, there's some 10-year-old kid watching TV and sees me with hearing aids and feels some sort of positive way about that. That would be a cool kind of uh, byproduct of this funny show we're trying to make. You know, Mark, we talk a lot about people who kind of just want to fly below the radar, not really interested in that, maybe not even in the position based on what they do, their work, their life, their hobbies, whatever. But you hear DJ talk about that and kind of being aware of, hey, this is my job. People have reached out to me who have hearing impairment, as, as I'm sure we've had people ask questions, whether they be sighted or low vision or blind, uh, about what, maybe what you do or how you do something. Um, how do you feel about this kind of thing? Is there a curiosity that you've had and when it comes to this kind of thing? And have you ever had anyone approach you? Um, I haven't had that experience at this time. I mean, I'm not that big a star, really. <laughs> Certainly you not are, a DJ Demers level star. You are here. I'm a star to you. Heck um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I have often been curious about, you know, the people who do a lot of the behind the scenes stuff in media in particular over the years. And I've known a couple of fellow blind audio people, uh, including, you know, one who uh, I think you've had on this show uh, before, uh, works at a radio station, Kevin Shaw. Mm -hmm. He worked oh, yeah. at uh, oh, yeah. he worked at a community radio station for a long time as their technical coordinator, and he had some absolutely wizard tools for getting things done. Um, in front of the camera, you know, people talk about representation, you know, seeing people and hearing people who are like you on screen, you know, like, uh, you know, th these characters exist. Well, these people also exist behind the camera. And I think it was more impactful for me to learn about, you know, people who were making these shows happen, who are doing the mixes, who are working on set, who, you know, involved in, you know, how the sausage gets made. Mm -hmm. um, and people with disabilities. It can be hard to find those Absolutely. people, though. It, it can be hard to find them, right, Mark? Because, it, it, it as certainly you say, you is. guys are behind the scenes. And we're behind the scenes, and we're maybe not always necessarily broadcasting, I'm disabled and doing yeah. this job. No. Yeah. I'm just doing this job. But it's good to know that there are people with various disabilities and differing levels of ability who are doing these jobs, who are making these things happen and putting this programming together that it, you are hearing and seeing on your screen right now. It's kind of neat. Mm. Um, I think um, the the 
the point that you're making, Mark, is also prevalent here with DJ's role because he's talking about, you know, just an everyday person working in an everyday job in customer service, I guess, and uh, somebody at home watching a show like this and getting that same sense, right? Obviously, this person is playing a role on TV, but what you're getting is just that representation of a person who's hard of hearing, who's working. And it, comedy is always such a great way to kind of bring across the 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 laughs and the the struggles um, of living a life with a disability. So I love that this is approach. I think of Superstore and characters in there, and just you know uh, shows where I enjoy people with disabilities being represented, but in funny ways where we could joke around the, about the serious stuff, but also have serious conversations just kind of built in there. Absolutely. In the, the first one for oh, go ahead, Mark. Okay. Well, it's actually the first uh, case of representation that hit me as a kid was the character of Jordy LaForge on Star Trek The Next Generation. Right, yeah. The blind chief engineer of the Starship Enterprise. I mean, that's pretty cool to a low vision or blind kid. Like, yeah, the person who's responsible for keeping this thing in space, he can't see either. It's like, mm. wow. Mm -hmm. And he has all these slick tools and this cool visor. I wanted the visor. I still want oh, the yeah. visor. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say, gee, Mark, I wouldn't mind that now if I could find a way. Um, guys, I, I'll say this, the pilot, uh, which premieres of, of the program, uh, is on January 9th, DJ's hearing aids malfunction after he uh, loses a dunk tank competition. Oh, dear. Oh, I no. why they malfunction. <laughs> and he proceeds to give customers bad advice based on his uh, lip reading spills. <laughs> uh, I epic. think we can relate to all of that, and that is totally up his alley uh, in his viewpoint. One star of the color purple had a really grueling audition process to get Oprah Winfrey's coveted role. Several performances in the new film version of The Color Purple getting a lot of attention, including Danielle Brooks, who plays Sophia. No. The role that scored Oprah Winfrey an Oscar nomination in 1986. Brooks played the role on Broadway, and she tells me she wanted to continue Sophia's journey on film, but it wasn't easy. It was a six-month audition process, and it was hard, and I had to remove my ego because uh, when I did this in 2015, for a year of my life, I was Tony-nominated and had won a Grammy. The Color Purple is out now in theaters. Jason Athenson, ABC News, Hollywood. Speaking of ego, Rum, what kind of six-month <laughs> thing would you put into, where would you put your effort into six months of working on something and be able to throw that ego away and say, uh, I can't go with the fact that I won an award doing this before, that I kicked butt doing this for a year, uh, or whatever it is. Is there something particular that you know you would be that person to go after something like this? Doesn't have to be, you know, music, theater, it could be. Well, I was just going to say, it, it can't be music or theater because it's I've never gotten to that place where, you know, I was so determined or so dedicated, but I will say, and it's going to sound like a given but on this show here right like every day we're putting away ego and every day we're learning things and every day we're getting critique feedback whatever it may be and especially when we hear from audience members through the you know research and deep dive into the show uh and hear about like the commentary that they have on our hosting or preferences or all these other things i'm like okay i gotta put it all away and just go in like a sponge mark anything come to mind well, uh, curiously enough, when I first came on to AMI and its predecessor, 
I had to learn describe video. I had never done describe mm. video. I, I hadn't even extensively used the software that was used to produce described video. So I, you know, I'd spent a few years being kind of the tech guy at a radio station. And I had to kind of start from scratch as it was to, you wow. know, kind of learn the craft, learn the software, you know, knock off the rust from dealing with television, which is something that I hadn't really fiddled around with since university. Um, so it kind of had to, you know, relearn that whole side of the industry. Um, there was also kind of when I actually got hired to that prior job at the radio station where I had to, you know, knuckle down and quickly put a demo together, you know, work out the software they were using. There's a common theme here, you know, work, you know, <laughs> relearning other companies' software. Um, yeah. but you know, in all cases, you know, in all cases, when, you know, trying to learn a new job, trying to get hired at a place, you don't want to go in with your nose in the air thinking, I know everything and I know how to do everything. No, you don't. And you're going to learn that real fast in your first few days. Mm. And I find people with disabilities, we really go for it. And when we're given that opportunity, we try. Guys, we're out of time. Mark, thanks as usual for making uh, time to be with us. Always a pleasure. Glad to be on. We do the roundtable every Thursday here on the show. We thank Mark Phoenix for joining us. Taking a quick break and coming back to wrap the show up with you, including some uh, anticipated beauty trends of 2024. And now with Dave Brown, tell you what's coming up on the Friday edition. Be right back. We'll be back with more of Kelly and Ramya after this short break. Hi, I'm Ramya Amuthan. Join me weekly for AMI Audiobook Review, the podcast that explores new titles, introduces us to famous narrators, and updates what's hot at the Center for Equitable Library Access. Download episodes of AMI Audiobook Review from your favorite podcast provider. <laughs> 